0: Obviously, you know, we talked about being uh, post-evangelism and post-missions in the sense of using the way that we've come to know those words, but we still have to use those words to give shape to them for many people who that's, you know, when they think of. So who is is doing missions right now, Uh, Mm -hmm. non-Anglo missions around the world involved in, you know, your work or other people that you've collaborated with? that, uh, you know, we should spotlight and we should learn from some of their practices. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. Go ahead and click that subscribe button, and be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters. Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grumman. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout-out to our Annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Our guest for this week's CBF Podcast Conversation is Craig Greenfield. He is the founder and director of Alongsiders International, as well as the author of several books, including The Urban Halo and Subversive Jesus. Craig, thank you for joining the conversation.
1: Great to be with you, Andy.
0: Well, first, um, Craig, I need to congratulate uh, you and, I guess, us. Uh, you are officially our first Kiwi on the CBF podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, for right the first on. time in seven years of doing this, we've never had anyone from New Zealand. Wow,
1: that's that's awesome. Well, kia ora to all of you, um, and it's great to be with you, yeah.
0: Now, we've had some Aussies, but let's just be honest, uh, and, well, you know, nobody's listening right now in this moment. I would much rather go to New Zealand than go to Australia. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is Middle Earth uh, for, right. for those of us that have totally dorked out and all things Tolkien. Uh, so what other fabulous things do you want to tell us about your amazing country for those of us that have never had a chance to be there?
1: Well, um, we have 5 million people and 40 million sheep. So there's uh, <laughs> there's an abundance of sheep, but, but most of us are kind of urban. Um, so we're not We're not hanging around with sheep too much. It's a beautiful country. If you want to see beaches and rivers and um, snow-capped mountains all within a day, then um, New Zealand's the place to go.
0: Got to make it out there sometime. Well, uh, tell us about Alongsiders International. Sure. Well, Alongsiders um, is a grassroots discipleship
1: movement. Basically, we ask young Christians around the world, primarily in Asia and Africa, to make a simple but powerful commitment to walk alongside those who walk alone. So each of these young Christians is equipped to walk alongside one child from their own community and you know, love them, encourage them, invest in their lives and disciple them. And it's beautiful. Um, I was talking to one of our alongsiders in Malawi, uh, her name's Rachel and asked her how she chose her little sister. And she said that she comes from a village that's notorious for trafficking and prostitution. And she was praying and asking God who she should choose as her little sister. And as she was praying, she looked out her window and saw a little girl named Esther being um, taught how to dance seductively for men by her family. And Rachel um, said to me in that moment, she just chose. She decided that that was the girl that she was going to come alongside. And. So that that's the kind of um, transformational relationship that takes place. Rachel got Esther into school and church. And um, I was asking Rachel last month how Esther's doing. She said Esther's just graduated from high school and now she wants to become a nurse. So, I, you know, we really believe that transformation takes place through those kind of one-on-one relationships. And that's one of the ways that we can be part of seeing God's goodness come in this world.
0: You know, I'm always fascinated to ask uh, people who serve on the mission field about their sense of calling, I guess primarily because um, in many regards, I feel like uh, my sense of calling is a conventional route, even though I did uh, church starting um, and didn't have done denominational work. But um, for many of us, you know, the options presented to us when we felt a call to ministry was to the church. Um And certainly, your work in missions is so fascinating. So I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit more about your sense of calling to this particular form of missions.
1: And I was quite far down the track of really pursuing a career in technology and entrepreneurship, actually. Um, Kind of, I guess God's gifted me as a pioneer or or someone who likes to start new initiatives. And so I was really heading in that direction um, in terms of making sure I could make my mark, make my wealth. Um, but I had also at the same time been uh, raised in a family that practiced radical hospitality. My parents used to take in foster kids and people out of prison and all of that, and so kind of parallel to my own journey, I was within this, you know, Christian family that was really living out the teachings of Jesus, and um, actually while I was a child, when I was about 10 years old, my parents adopted two Cambodian refugees who were a couple of years older than me. So while I was at university, I went and visited Cambodia for six months. And um, that was kind of the beginning of of the journey for me as I really experienced God, um, experienced God's call among the poor, um, really witnessed poverty in a, in a non-Western setting for the first time in my life and really, really made a deep impact. And so in that, during that six months, I made a commitment to return and Live in the slums in Cambodia and see what uh, try to explore what God meant when Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor."
0: That's so fascinating. Um, You know, we're going to get to the book here. I promise in a second. (laughs) Which it connects so much that it It helps set the context really of the experience that you poured into this book that that you wrote. But tell us about that experience because again, even for the common. I keep using the worst terms as they sound even for most Mm -hmm. Christians who are deeply committed to the ministry of uh, transformation in all its many forms probably are not selling everything they have um, and getting rid of it and going to live in the slums of any country, let alone um, whatever that form is in their particular country. So, you know, what was it, what was it about your journey with Christ that led you to it? What was that experience like?
1: You know, I, um, there's, there's so many, when you look back, I mean, this is 20 years ago, right? And, and I ended up living in urban poor communities for 15, 20 years. Um, but when you look back, there's so many reasons, right? And reading the gospel is certainly a big part of it. Jesus saying, I've come to bring good news to the poor and really grappling that with that as a new Christian and what that meant, Um as well as just youthful enthusiasm, you know, let's let's face it, um, I was in my early 20s, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the Alongsiders movement, because we can tap into that youthful energy and enthusiasm and openness to the radical that we kind of lose as we get older, and, you know, I really believe that young people are on the forefront of Pretty much every movement for social change throughout history. So I guess in a way I was tapping into some of that myself in my own life. And um, yeah, it was it was God inviting me to something interesting and fascinating and challenging and sacrificial. Um, but yeah, over the years certainly made many mistakes and seen many of the, way, the wrong ways to do it, certainly by doing it myself the wrong way and um yeah it's been a 20-year journey of absolute ups and downs joys and heartbreaks and all kinds of things
0: you have a new book subversive mission this book invites readers to rediscover the fivefold missional gifts you wrote this is an invitation for each of us to wake up and start acknowledging our weakness and humbly composting our crap so that it can enrich the earth wherever we are what inspired you to write this book
1: my sense is that we are at a pivotal point in history, particularly in, you know, certainly in, in almost every sector of society, we're, we're all talking about how COVID has been an inflection point. And that's also true for missions, for the way that um, Christians engage with the world. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the the telltale signs of that are the two stories of Jim Elliott and John, John Allen Cha. Now most of us have heard of Jim Elliott killed by a spear, uh, martyred as he attempted to reach um, an unreached people group in Ecuador. This was in 1956 and he was hailed a hero. He was hailed, he was on the front page of Life magazine, he was hailed as a hero of the faith. Now skip forward almost 60 years to 2017 john allen chow murdered in almost the same way also by a spear uh, attempting to reach an unreached people group in the underman islands and uh, apart from in small pockets of the church where he was still labeled a hero and a martyr for the faith pretty much universally and, and these are words quoted from the new york times he was hailed as a fool and a flag bearer for colonialism and so times have changed Uh, absolutely societal understanding of what it means to be a Christian in the world, what it means to be a missionary. Um, We have gone through a revolution in our thinking. Now, that's not to say that we need to just follow the way that society thinks. That's not at all what I'm trying to say here, but to recognize the reality that people have a much greater sense of what's happened with colonialism, um, with exploitation, all of those types of things, race, all of those issues now play into the ideas that we have as Christians and as non-Christians. And so my sense is that there's a great paralysis amongst uh, young people, amongst people who have a sense of love and calling to love their neighbors, not just across the street, but across the world. Um, But the paralysis that comes of I don't want to be a white savior. I don't want to hitch myself with all of that baggage that comes with missionary work and colonialism. Um, and yet there's still this stirring within me to love people of other cultures, to engage with them, um, to be a part of seeing poverty transformed around the world. And so what's the way forward? And so this book is really an answer to that paralysis, not um, glossing over or ignoring the sins of the past, but also not being stuck. In the mud of paralysis, but offering a framework to go forward as how we can be global Christians.
0: What do you mean by subversive?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the word subversive. I've I've used it in the titles of two of my books. Um, it really means to 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 sub to to change things from below, subvert. Um, and I really believe this is how Jesus brought change when we look at uh, where Jesus comes. You know, he leaves the most exclusive gated community in the universe. He comes down to live amongst us. Um, He's born in Bethlehem. And the reason he's born there, socio-politically, is because of the census. Now, censuses are held for two kind of main reasons. You have taxes. You want to know how much tax you can collect. And you have army. How many soldiers do you need to either recruit or crush? So these are the kind of twin pillars of empire, money and power. And Jesus is born in the shadow of these twin pillars. Now, in Luke 3, just a chapter later, John the Baptist, interestingly enough, calls two groups to repentance, the tax collectors and the soldiers. So right from the very beginning, Jesus is saying, and coming in a way, in a manner in which to say the upside down kingdom is not using money and power to bring about change. It's much more subversive. It's much more grassroots much more from the ground up often in fact using those who are the weakest most vulnerable to bring about change not coming in with lots of money to bring about change but seeing what are the assets and resources in the community so that's that's what i see in the life of jesus i believe that's what he taught and lived out and role modeled and so how then can we do that ourselves and following jesus around the world not using money and power, which are the tools of colonialism, but instead using relationships, love, grassroots, subversive types of actions and lifestyles.
0: You were alluding to this earlier. um, The book examines some of the challenges of our models of missions over the centuries, especially as we live in a post-colonial missions era. You wrote as we broaden our thinking about how we might go into the world, we also need to be wise about the minefields that we'll be crossing so we can avoid making the same missteps as those who have gone before us. Not doing so would be tragic irony when it comes to vulnerable people, uh, people's lives. Our good intentions do not matter as much as the eventual outcomes. For those that, that maybe have not come to a place of unpacking what's wrong with a colonial missions model, uh, walk us through its challenges and its complexities.
1: Yeah, well, in the book um, Subversive Mission, um, what I've done is I've laid out a five-fold framework for how we can serve in the world, but I've also laid out five you kind know, of core blind spots that we as Western Christians often take into these cross-cultural situations. And so the challenge is to become more self-aware. We're, we're not going to avoid making mistakes. And but God's grace is, is big enough to work despite our mistakes. But let's not go out blindly and ignorantly and naively. Let's be people who reflect on uh, what we bring as Westerners and reflect on how that is different. So I'll give you an example. One of the, one of the blind spots that I talk about is individualism. And uh, we really saw the the way that this played out um, over the COVID period. You know, when we compare Eastern and Western thought, Eastern thought and culture really flows from China. And historically, for the Chinese people in most of Asia, rice is the staple food. Rice is just an absolute, you know, three times a day. If you have not eaten rice, you have not eaten. Uh, The thing about rice is you need irrigation and you need to cooperate with your neighbors to, to... cultivate rice you can't you know if you get on the wrong side of your village chief and he cuts off your water you will starve to death and so right from the very beginning of kind of eastern culture you are reliant on your neighbors and so harmony and community become very central important themes for eastern thought and culture and philosophy now, contrast that with Westerners, Western thought and cultures really flowed down from Greece and that region where people are able to hunt and fish. And, you know, if you get on the wrong side of Uncle Aesop down the road, doesn't really matter. You can still feed your You can still feed your family and survive. And so right from the very beginnings of our Western culture and thought, individualism, freedom, liberty for all, in case those things sound familiar, um, are actual features, central themes of what it means to have, uh, to be a person of Western kind of origin, European in particular, obviously. And so you have these kind of contrasts of individualism versus harmony. And even it even flows into it flows into every aspect of how we approach the world certainly during covid you saw the individualistic you know my freedom my rights versus the i will do what my community tells me to do and that kind of thing but even in the way that we think about the gospel the way that westerners europeans particularly kind of frame the gospel is it's a relationship between me and god me and god doesn't you know it doesn't affect other people particularly especially in that kind of moment of decision and yet in eastern thought all of that is tied up together there's no way to respond to the gospel without it being a community response and so you see Jesus with Zacchaeus and at the end of this conversation which has all kinds of economic implications uh, Jesus says today salvation has come to this household which is kind of a mind-blowing phrase for those of us who are coming from an individualistic mindset. So that's just one kind of area that we need to examine, and there's there's multiple as we think about what it means to live and serve cross-culturally.
0: I like how graciously you accepted my question that could have been an entire podcast series, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to answer this guy's question, <laughs> and I'm going to do it as, as perfectly as possible. Um, you know, an important framework of this book is is also the concept of insider and outsider. Can you explain that to us? Mm,
1: mm. Yeah, this is, this is really the, one of the key ideas, is that when we serve cross-culturally, we must recognize that we come as outsiders and that outsiders have, will have a different role, particularly outsiders who hold more power or access to more resources. Now, uh, in places where we all kind of have equal power and resources, we don't think about this very much. We don't realize how rich we are um, kind of in comparison to the rest of the world. And so when we go into these places of poverty, we often go kind of blind to the the fact that we actually have a lot more resources, which gives us a lot more power. On top of that is this idea that as outsiders, our role is not to be at the center of what God is doing there, because we're not going to be there forever. In fact, what we want is to see sustainable things being birthed that will continue long after we leave. And so right from the very beginning, we come with a posture of an outsider, much more as sidekicks rather than as superheroes. And that's really where we've gone wrong, isn't it? When we talk about white saviors or saviors of any color is where we have come in, we we place ourselves at the center. We are the superhero. When in actual fact, we need to come in as alongsiders who will serve and raise up local leaders in those places. So when I go through the kind of fivefold ministry types from apostle to teacher to evangelist to pastor to um, all of those things the, um, the prophet each of those what i want to suggest those are roles for insiders and we need to reframe them when we come with that gifting as an outsider
0: we need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors christian healthcare ministries you want to create a strong Christian family that will all hold one another through thick and thin. What if healthcare worked the same way? With Christian Healthcare Ministries, budget friendly, compassionate care is within your reach. CHM empowers you to pursue excellence in healthcare without added stress or the need to cut corners. Whether you're looking for a comprehensive maternity program or the flexibility to choose your own providers, CHM has options to fit your family's specific needs. As the nation's first and longest-serving health-cost-sharing ministry, you can rest assured knowing that you are making a difference in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Plus, you'll receive all the faith-based support of joining the larger CHM family. Encouragement and spiritual resources created for you and your little ones is just the beginning. Sounds different? It's by design. Join hundreds of thousands of members and discover the biblical solutions to your healthcare costs. To learn more, visit chministries.org. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast In the book, you talk about the critical errors of of missions, uh, including stifling local creativity, weakening local self-esteem, undermining local ownership, bypassing local resources, and so on. We obviously could spend our entire conversation unpacking these, but I wonder if you'll help us understand um, by giving us a a deeper glimpse into specifically creating unintended political alignments and spurring false conversions. Those two are so fascinating as I was reading the book.
1: Yeah, well, uh, that's the challenge is as outsiders we come and we bring connections to resources. And so when a community is faced with a challenge, uh, like, you know, say there's an emergency, there's a disaster, there's, you know, like COVID, for example. um, The challenge is that when you are there as an outsider, you represent political connections in the sense of you represent connection to outside resources. And so, if you're not careful, you become the savior. You become the person who brings the answers and the solutions and the and the, you know the answers to their problems. Now, let me give you an example of this. During Covid, obviously, people in many parts of the world where we're working uh, were really struggling, particularly with economic issues around getting enough food to feed their families. I was in an urban poor community in Cambodia. When the lockdown came, the soldiers brought out barricades with razor wire on top. We were not allowed off our block. Uh, and we were living in a very poor community. So people who were living hand to mouth um, daily, you know, what they earned that day, they ate. And so when they weren't able to go off and work, they were began to really struggle. And so obviously kind of the outsides mentality is, well, let's you know send an email home, get a lot of money, buy a lot of rice to distribute. That's the natural kind of emergency response. And there's times when that is really the only solution. But we wondered if there might be a different way of doing that, of meeting some of those needs. And so some of the alongside leaders, the Cambodian leaders said, let's put a table outside the front of our house with a sign that says, if you have extra, put it on this table. If you're in need, help yourself. And so right from the beginning, people began to help each other. And uh, of course, it was, you know, it's 2021 at this stage, and they make it into a hashtag. They're tagging their friends and challenging them to do it on Facebook. And that community table movement actually went viral around Cambodia as people just began to share with their neighbors. I remember uh, we had a little table out the front of our house, and a little old lady comes across with her cucumber and she puts it on the table and then she kind of grins up at us and takes two little eggs back to where she's sitting and just the sense of the spirit kind of stirring up now just think about the difference between that where they have all been a part of seeing their own solution um, happen because they are sharing versus um, someone brings in resources from outside now next time there's a problem who are they going to turn to so you see the same thing in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has just sent out his disciples two by two. And he said, don't take anything. Don't take money. And so they are reliant on the man of peace, the community, to welcome them. Now they come back. They they meet an even greater need, the feeding of the 5,000. And their first response is, Jesus, send them away. It's kind of Paralysis which as I said in the beginning, paralysis is not an acceptable answer in the face of great need. Um, and so they come then with the charity response. They say, well, should we get you know half a year's wages and buy a lot of food and resources for this situation? Jesus again says, no, that's not the answer. Instead, they're encouraged to turn their eyes to see what is God has already placed within that community. Little boy, pathetic amount of fish and bread, we know the story but through that having eyes to see as some people would call asset based community development to see what assets are in the community god is able to bring transformation into that situation so that's what we're missing out on when we kind of use our you know use the ways of the empire the ways of colonialism to solve problems we're missing out on what jesus wants to do through the upside down kingdom way of bringing transformation
0: Missions are obviously close to the heart of Jesus, and as seen in the Gospels, Jesus continually met the needs of the people around him in in tangible ways, as well as partner with others for the sake of compassion and bestowing God's grace upon them. At the heart of Jesus' work was also the redemptive path of following him into new life. What's the balance between helping with needs of this world while also inviting people to follow Jesus?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question, and I think this is one of the problems with the word missionary is actually that we only have kind of one way of thinking about what a missionary does and is, and it's it's not always connected to a person's giftings, and so we only have one kind of model. The nice thing about Ephesians four is that it gives us five different ways of using our gifting in the world, and so there are some who are gifted as evangelists. Um, but not all, there's four other types. There's four other ways to serve in the world. And so I think that's incredibly freeing. So the way that I frame evangelists in the book, because what I'm saying is that actually evangelist is a role primarily for insiders. As outsiders, we what I want to suggest is we come as seekers. Now, stay with me here. Don't freak out. What I believe is that God is already at work in every context and seekers come to discover what is the conversation that God is already having with these people or with the, even with this individual in this place and to come primarily as listeners who have eyes to see what is it that God's already doing? How is he already stirring that up? Let me give you an example. My wife is Cambodian and her mother actually became a Christian. Um, At a late stage through the Khmer Rouge, she escaped. Now, as a child, her mother grew up hearing these Buddhist prophecies of, and this is very much kind of limited to Cambodian understanding of Buddhism, but Buddha, according to Cambodian elders, spoke of one who would come much later, who would come with discs in his hands and in his feet, holes in his hands and in his feet, and would be known as the king of peace and, he, and Buddha said he would be greater than Buddha himself and so when Nay's mother my wife's mother gets you know escapes from the Khmer Rouge gets to the refugee camp and begins to hear about this Jesus this prince of peace she immediately recognizes the prophecies that had been spoken to her as a child and so if we kind of come in with this one way of talking about Jesus and the kingdom and we think we know the answers before we listen, before we discover, before we seek, we could miss those very important conversations that God is already having. So that's my sense, is that um, bringing the good news of Jesus is important. Uh, we want people to come to know Jesus, but we want them to discover it in ways that make sense to them in their own context.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how it is in New Zealand, but in in America, evangelism has almost become a dirty word uh, among American Christians, let let alone, you know, obviously the word evangelical has a lot of baggage here in this country. Um, It's become synonymous with a a certain methodology and legacy of faith sharing. So how how might we reclaim evangelism, maybe reexamining how it's defined within the scriptures and find a new way of approaching it?
1: look, i I do believe that some words just hold too much baggage. and i I would contend that that the word missionary in in many circles just has too much baggage. Um, it's not helpful anymore to liability. And perhaps in certain circles, evangelical and ele- evangelism uh, are, are words like that as well. And so even as we think about what scriptures, Uh, motivating us you know in the past we've used the scripture go into all the world and I think that in when we view that in the context of what's happened with colonialism those types of verses perhaps um, are going to resonate less it's not to say that they don't hold truth or meaning but they're going to resonate less whereas in fact verses like or you know commands of Jesus to love your neighbor whether they're across the street or across the oceans. Loving our neighbors is something we can all get in behind. I think, you know, even those who are not believers in Jesus um, appreciate it when we are just honestly, authentically, with no strings attached, loving and serving our neighbors. And so for me, those types of commandments and themes, which are so central as well to scripture, loving our neighbors, um, are really helpful and are going to resonate with this generation much more.
0: Let's talk about apostles. You wrote, apostles are gifted by God to establish new things in new places. The Greek word for apostle literally means one who is sent because apostles are sent out ahead of the pack to push out kingdom boundaries and to keep the church from turning inward. I didn't like this label, but I knew I was wired for this. So where does someone with an apostolic impulse start? Um, What do you think are the other qualities of an apostle?
1: Well, I I very much resonate with the the role or the gifting of the apostle, um, particularly as an entrepreneur. It's someone who sees possibilities. It's someone who is able to bring together different people and resources. Now, the challenge is that when we come as apostolically gifted outsiders, we are so used to um, starting things on our own, being in charge, calling the shots. And the role of an outsider is to have much more self-discipline than that. Because if we don't, then we are creating things that will die up after we leave. We're creating things that are not, there's, where there's no sense of ownership by local people. And so it's actually much more challenging to be an apostolically gifted leader in a context where you're an outsider. Um, but also, yeah, what a great challenge. We apostolically gifted people love a great challenge. And so what we are doing is coming alongside local leaders and helping them give birth to the visions and passions that God has already placed in their hearts. Whether those are initiatives to transform the lives of the poor or whether they're initiatives to plant new churches, um, unless we start with local leaders and the things that God is stirring within them, we're really going to miss the point. Now, this this operates you know, domestically as well. If you go from one community to another, and you have more power and resources than the people in that, you know, in that neighborhood, then you're also an outsider. And so we need to think these through and approach this role, uh, the apostolic role, with a great deal of self-discipline.
0: You know, as I think about apostles, I guess in, in many, in many regards, um, apostles are leaders who make leaders because uh, they realize they can't do it on their own. uh, And, but that's the whole point of, of discipleship, but Mm -hmm. this is a struggle for, for a lot of leaders. And I guess I think of oftentimes even within the realm of vocational ministry, there can be a lot of egotism and territorialism. What are some of the best practices of leaders who make leaders?
1: No, I, um, I guess one of the things that I've noticed is that we tend to toss around this word empowerment a lot um, and it becomes kind of a catchphrase or jargon that doesn't really get practiced. And so I've kind of pivoted away from the word empowerment towards ownership because I really feel that ownership gives a much greater sense of what we are seeking. And ownership is not something that you can kind of bestow on someone. It's something that has to be awakened within them, whether, you know, if they, ha- they either have a sense of ownership because it's been birthed out of their heart or it doesn't. And so this is really the challenge, isn't it, of how do we raise up other leaders, not just giving it lip service and saying, yeah, I'm empowering, yeah, I'm delegating, but actually saying right from day one, where is this vision even coming from? Is it my vision or is it a vision that God has birthed with them in that person's heart? And right from the beginning, coming alongside and serving them and helping to strengthen them. And at the end of the day, it's not going to be the focus on us. The limelight, the spotlight, it's not gonna be on us because it will be them leading right from the very beginning. And that's hard for those of us who like the limelight. Um, that's That's a hard posture to take, but it's absolutely necessary if we want to come and serve as humble outsiders.
0: The mission landscape is is shifting. Um, for many Euro-American mission sending organizations, their home countries are becoming more of a mission field than some of the traditional places that they've sent missionaries. Of course, you know, people are shifting away from mainline denominationalism, uh, leaving the church, but not necessarily abandoning their faith altogether as many Uh, research around this area, you know, first thought, Um, what do you think missions will look like in the coming decade, especially in places where Christianity is no longer the dominant religion?
1: Yeah, my, my sense is that we're going to see a lot more vocational missionaries going out, and that's just a reflection of the fact that those who are going out from the Philippines, from Brazil, that kind of thing, are are not as well resourced as we have been um, in Western missions. And so, vocationally, they're going out to serve. Um, I believe that missions will, you know, take a shift in the sense of, as uh, hopefully this is the direction it will go, where those who come as outsiders will not stick around for 20, 30 years, um, because there is a time to step back. And if, you know, in the old days, we say, well, bury me here because I love these people, et cetera, et cetera. But very often what happens is we, um, we overplay our hand. We stay too long and we don't step back and give space to local leaders. Now, that's not to say that we should not be there at all. Um, there's a time and a place Jesus himself relocated and lived amongst us. Um, but perhaps it won't look like these kind of long-term 30, 40-year type of long-term missionaries that we've seen in the past. Now, the challenges when we go short-term is we go with much more ignorance, uh, naivety. It, we may be tempted not to learn the language. All of those things I would push back on and say, look, yeah, if we're going to go shorter, it doesn't mean we don't have a posture of learning, particularly learning the culture and the language.
0: Obviously, you know, we talked about being post-evangelism uh, and post-missions in the sense of using the way that we've come to know those words, but we still have to use those words to give shape to them for many people who that's you know when they think of. So, sure. who is who is doing missions right now? Uh, mm-hmm. Non Anglo missions around the world involved in you know your work or other people that you've collaborated with that, uh, you know, we should spotlight and we should learn from some of their practices.
1: You know, I I think at the forefront are these kind of insider movements. Alongside us is one of them. Um, We've just seen explosive growth into 30 countries. There's 20,000 children and youth involved. Um, That's double the number than at the beginning of this year. So the growth is in the non-Western world. None of those people are outsiders, none of them are Westerners. When I say 20,000, not one of those is a Westerner. They're all um, people who are local in their own context serving their own neighbours. Now that's going to go under the radar because it's so grassroots. And we actually have to be very careful about the role of outsiders in those places. Um, I tell a story at the beginning of the book about how I was invited to preach to you know, a large group, thousands and thousands of youth at this big conference in India. And um, I took it to my Indian mentor, Paulus, and my heart kind of sank because I knew what he was going to say. He's like, oh, Craig, Craig, uh, I don't think this is a good thing for you to be doing. Is you to, For you to get up on the stage and represent alongside us in India. Um, really sends a message that this is an outsider movement. And so kind of my heart broke as I said, you know, typed out the response to say no to the speaking opportunity in India. And really make sure that a local Indian person was there front and center. And that's really what we have to do is take a step back, not disengage, because that's also not the answer, but to engage in ways that really do give ownership to local people.
0: I guess, lastly, what, what's your hope for the book? Um, how do you imagine it being used within congregations or even by missional organizations like CBF, who has field personnel around the world?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think this is pretty helpful framework. You know, the idea that the apostle comes as a catalyst, the outsider comes as a catalyst. The prophet, uh, the prophetically gifted, comes instead as an ally seeking to amplify the voice of local prophets. The the pastor comes instead when they're an outsider as a midwife helping local pastors to give birth to communities of faith. The evangelist comes as a seeker, the teacher comes as a guide. So this is actually a really helpful framework for those who have the sense of, yeah, I want to be engaged globally. I want to be engaged cross-culturally, even domestically in the United States. Um, But I've had the sense of paralysis So my sense is this is a book that's full of hope and that it will give people a sense of release that God is calling and equipping and giving them opportunities to serve and love their neighbors, um, not as a white savior or a savior of any other color, but in these roles that outsiders can take that will be incredibly empowering and give birth to beautiful things around the world. So my sense and hope for this book, what I'm praying, and it's already getting into the hands of mission agency leaders around the world, um, and they're excited about it. And my sense is this will give a real breath of fresh air into the whole endeavor.
0: Our guest is Craig Greenfield. The book is Subversive Missions. You can stay connected with him by visiting craiggreenfield.com. Craig, it's been a joy talking with you. Thank you for challenging us to see the privilege to journey as alongsiders, to trust that God will continue to work in and through all of us for the good of the whole world.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you, Andy.
0: Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.